0: If you are new with us, let me say welcome. We are glad that you are here at South Point. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, We have been walking through the book of Nehemiah for all of 2021, and we've still got several weeks, but I knew this section whenever I got to it. It immediately reminded me of my first mission trip. I was on staff at a church. I was an intern, and we went to Morristown, Tennessee, which is kind of up in the mountain area of Tennessee. And uh, Man, I learned a lot of things on that trip. I got to learn about overcoming opposition because what was supposed to be a 16-hour ride with several charter buses of middle schoolers and high schoolers turned into a 26-hour drive because bus breakdowns and things like that. If you've never had to unload a charter bus full of kids and their stuff and then watch that bus be hauled away um, to be worked on, it's quite a sight to see. Um, Once we got there, I got to learn about peoples and cultures. And if you go, well, how did you learn about culture? You were still in the United States. You have to understand, you get into that part of the mountains, and you get to learn about culture. They had a festival in their town, and it was one of these big days, kind of like a homecoming day, and they would have carnival rides and things like that, hot air balloons, and I could have people watch there for several days. I had just never seen that many mullets in one area. Um, It was (laughs) glorious watching people. I got to learn that you can't really force the Holy Spirit. Because one night, um, the guy that I was working for, we had this worship gathering, and he was really, really pushing students to like confess and things like that. And it was super late at night. It was overly emotional. And about 1.30 in the morning, as I had my head laying on my arm, and I hear like the 50th time a kid go, I'm not going to cuss anymore. I remember out loud saying, you probably will, um, because you just can't force that. But the next night, the next night I got to watch one of the coolest worship experiences I've ever seen in my entire life. Because we gathered together, and a buddy of mine played some songs, much like we would do here. We read some scriptures, and it wasn't anything forced. but man, the spirit of God started moving there. And this kid got up and he said, hey, not everyone knows me. I don't really know everybody that well. But man, God is just really speaking to me right now, and I need to just unpack some things that I'm struggling with. And he began to throw some things out, and it wasn't the light stuff. Like, he was talking about the things that he really struggled with. Broke down and just kind of confessed that. Another kid got up and was like, I'm struggling with the same thing. And I mean, just this over and over and over again. One of my best friends stood up and said, Hey, I'm not even a believer. Like I know all the church answers and things like that, but I'm I'm not a follower of Christ. And I need to make that real tonight. And by the end of it, man, it had been this amazing worship time of people just unpacking the things they were struggling with, putting their sin out there for everyone to see, and then watching Jesus work in their lives. To this day, it was still one of the coolest experiences I've ever got to be a part of. And what I love about that, that was kind of like the youth group version of what we're going to talk about today. Today's like big church time. If you ever grew up and we're going to big church now, that's what you're going to see because it's going to be an entire city doing this. And so this morning, we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're just going to read a couple verses, talk through some things, and do that several times. So in chapter 9 and verse 1, it says... Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sin and their iniquities of their fathers. So as we get started this morning, first point I would like to make is, if you are serious about your relationship with God, you will be serious about your sin. Now, ooh, it's going to be one of those sermons. Yeah. I tell people one of the reasons I love just walking through a book is you can't get around it because this is a heavy thing. This is one of those moments where it gets very real of, hey, if we are going to be serious about our relationship with God and that relationship growing and that relationship increasing and God being more and more and more to us, we're going to have to be really serious about our sin. And a lot of times this is where people go, eh, I'm going to kind of pull back a little bit because it, it might get awkward. People might find out things about me. But if we're serious about growing with God, then we get serious about this. And we realize the magnitude of what our sin is. Our sin is railing against a perfect and holy God. And this is a group of people who have just kind of been walking through this story. They showed up and they started building this wall around Jerusalem. And then the wall was finished. And then revival began to break out. And they began to read God's word. And it began to change them. They began to hear things. They began to hear commandments and the things that God had given his people. And they went we're struggling with that and we're struggling with it but we are willing to move past it I love what this wall has done because this revival continues the the wall had been built and so at first the wall just brought people together it brought people from different tribes and it brought people from different places and they came together and they began to build this massive wall around Jerusalem and it brought people together in a way that it brought them safety To where when it's finished, they looked and said, hey, we can all move back into this city. We're not worried about outside parties coming in and and trying to attack us. The wall provided safety. It brought people together. And then it brought about a spiritual awakening. Because once they were inside, they start reading God's word. And God's word just starts doing unbelievable things to these people. And I would say today, in 2021, this is what the church should look like. The church should bring people together. Let's take South Point as an example. It should bring people together. And so I look out, and we've got people that are, were born you know, in Abilene. We've got people that were born up in the north. We've got people that were born in the promised land, Bryan College Station, right here. And God bringing all those people together. We've got people of different ages. We've got people from different backgrounds and things like that. But it brings all of us together. And all of our stories start to mingle, and we begin to share our story. And it provides safety for us. It provides a place that you can come in here and say, I'm not okay, and that's all right. It provides a place where you can come and say, hey, today hadn't been the best day, hadn't been the best week. I'm struggling with something. And what you'll find is people coming around you and not bashing you over the head, but lovingly walking through that with you. And hopefully this is a place where spiritually we're maturing as well. There's just too many opportunities not to. Monday night, we've got the women's Bible study, how to read your Bible. Logan found Whitney's packet the other day and was like, can mom read? And I went, no, they're going to teach her. And I got in trouble for that. But God is doing some really big things on Monday night. We've got Fight Club. We've got Order of the Lion, Man, some of the conversations that we've had in that and some of the memories that we made at man camp, like that's important. God is growing us Spiritually equipping classes, our kids' area. God's doing some big things in our kids' lives, in our student ministry, all over. This is what the church should be. I hope we're a place that brings people together. I hope we're a place that provides safety for someone. And I hope we're a place that God is just continually stirring and growing us into who he wants us to be. And so as these people get together, they do some things that for most of us in today's day and age, they look a little different. You do have to remember, this is about 2,500 years ago. We are a very westernized culture. This is a very eastern culture with its own customs. But they came together and they began to do some outward expressions to show that, hey, we want to move further in our relationship with God. And so the first thing they did, we kind of have a little bit of an understanding on. They fasted. We've talked about it at South Point. We've had times where we said, hey, as a church, we want to come together and fast (coughs) in our leadership. We do that from time to time. And we understand that fasting is not just starving yourself. Fasting has a purpose. As we fast and we let go of food, which is by all means a good thing, it reminds us that there's a better thing. In those times where we feel a little bit of hunger, it's the reminder to focus our efforts and our thoughts on something greater. And so we have a time when we come together and we fast, and this is what these people did. An entire city comes together and says, hey, we're not eating because we want to focus on God. And they said, hey, we feel so poor before God because of our sin that we don't even need food. They had that healthy time where they said, you know what, I'm going to forsake food for something greater. Everybody's probably had that time where, man, you were just really busy with work, and you looked up and you're like, I haven't eaten lunch. I don't do that very often because I'll end staff meetings so I can go. But there's those times where it's just really busy, and you look up and you go, man, I just completely forgot that I was needing to eat. That's kind of the earthly way of looking at it. For these people, they said, hey, we are going to forsake it because we know we need to refocus on God. As the word's being read, we're, we're seeing the things in our lives that don't need to be there, and we're willing to let go of something as good as food to point us back to God. And then it says they sat in sackcloth. That's a little bit different. I haven't really seen anybody observe that one in America too much. But this is a way of saying, hey, my comfort is not as important as growing in my relationship with God. Because they would take their clothes and they would cover themselves essentially with what we would call like a burlap sack. It's not comfortable, it's extremely scratchy, it's rough, it's coarse, it's not something that you would wear around. And we love comfort, that is just a natural human desire, right, like if I'm hot I wanna turn the AC on, if I'm cold I wanna turn the heater on. Yesterday when I was outside I wanted my jacket. We like comfort, comfort is not an evil thing. But they were so overcome by their sin that they said, hey, my comfort is not as important as growing with God. And so they fasted, they covered themselves with sackcloth, and then it says they put earth on their head. They basically would cover their faces with dirt. It's a way of saying, May my sin makes me feel like this. It makes me feel dirty. It makes me feel unclean, and I realize it. And they did all of these things, they brought all of them together because they said, Hey, we want to grow in our relationship with God. And notice where they did this. This was not a private affair. This is happening in a massive public setting where they're looking around and they go, hey, that's my brother over there. It's my friend, Scott, over there. Hey, there's my mom. There's my son. All of these people together, and they did not care that others saw them or heard what they were saying, and they just began to confess their sins because they weren't concerned with public perception or popularity. So many times, those two things will keep us from growing in our relationship with God, Because we become so focused on what other people are going to think about us. What are people going to think when they see me on social media? What are people going to think when they see me walking around? And these people said, I don't care what other people think about me. I care more about growing with God and walking with him and being right with him. They weren't concerned about public perception. You've heard me say a number of times, like when Jesus showed up, the religious system of the day was just clean up your outside. Pretty up the outside and you'll be fine. And if we're honest, like a lot of times that's not that hard. We know how to make a mask, like not a physical one, but like we cover up our issues. And inside, man, we're still hurting. And Jesus came to destroy that system. And these people are years before that going, we're not concerned about the outside. Yeah, I mess up. I'm willing to confess it because I wanna move past that. It says that they separated themselves from foreigners. I actually didn't get this portion in the first service because right when I got here, a phone started buzzing. And I realized it was behind me, and I really thought one of y'all had left it. And uh, no, it was the (laughs) O'Briens. So, yeah, Terry got in trouble, had to come get it. It says they separated themselves from foreigners. Now, we look at that today, and we go, okay, is that like a form of racism? Like, why are they not wanting to be around other people? No, it's not that. It's they were God's chosen people. And they knew that God's chosen people had a history of letting outside influence, not the color of someone's skin or the nation that they were from, but their beliefs about religious, uh, religion and God, they knew that we have a history of letting that pull us away from God. And so they said, hey, in this moment, we're actually going to pull away from people because we don't want an outside influence pulling us away from a holy and perfect God. Earlier, if you read in Ezra, he'd come in and made these reforms where he said, hey, for years you've been intermarrying with these other tribes and other cultures and things like that. And it wasn't that the intermarrying was an issue. Like today, sometimes people try and take that and say, well, you can't have mixed marriages. That's stupid, and it's not taken from the Bible. What it was saying was, hey, you're taking someone who is supposed to be a follower of God, and you're marrying them off to somebody who's worshiping Moloch or something like that, which is absolutely crazy. He said, and you're not supposed to mingle like that. And in this moment of confession they began to look around and said hey we're going to pull back as god's people not because we don't love these other people we just know that hey we have a tendency to let outside influence draw us away from god we know what that looks like in 2021 we have got a myriad of infinite things that can pull us away from god sometimes it's our own selves where we get selfish We get really prideful. Sometimes it's just the busyness of what we say we do. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And sometimes Satan has used that to pull us from God. There's so many outside influences to take us away, there's so many temptations. I mean, we get what this looks like. And as God's people, there's times where we say, hey, we need to pull back a little bit so that we can refocus on God. And so they separated themselves. And then it says, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. You've got an entire city, this country, coming together, and they're just confessing their sin. And they know that the person next to them can hear it, and they're not concerned because they know, hey, if I confess this, he's faithful to forgive me, and I'm going to grow and move on from it. And then they even look back, it says, they confess the iniquities of their forefathers. Now that, when it comes to today's culture, gets dragged into a lot of different areas. But I will say this. Am I responsible for things that my ancestors may have done? No. But can I acknowledge that some of them were wrong? Most certainly. And this is what the Israelites did. They began to acknowledge that, hey, we know the history of our people. And God, forgive us of that. We know that, God, you raised up leaders like Moses, and you led our people out of Egypt, away from slavery. We know that you destroyed an Egyptian army. We know that you you called Moses up on a mountain to give him the law. And in a couple of days, our people forgot all of it and made a golden calf and started worshiping it. And we know that that's wrong. We know that there's been times where we have not helped out our neighbors when we needed to, and we know that that's wrong. And they just begin to confess all these things and acknowledge that, hey, if it's not glorifying God, if it does not bring glory to God, it is sinful. And we look at our lives and we can find so many of those places. I pray that we can be like the Israelites. I pray that we can not worry about what people will think about us. We'll think more about, hey, how can I come closer to God? And they begin to confess. And then they begin to worship. In verse 3 it says, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord um, their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of the day they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kedil, uh, Shebaniah, Bunny. That's a nickname. I'm convinced that's a nickname. Uh, Sherebiah, Bonnie, and Sherani. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. So uh, it is easier to hear God's word in worship when you're free from guilt. If we get real honest for a moment, there's those times that we walk in here and we start thinking back through the week. And conviction sets in. I go, man, why did I, why did I handle that situation that way? Why did I respond like that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? And that guilt, man, it makes for a difficult time of worship. You walk in here knowing, man, I have, I have been walking with God. I've been confessing, and I know I mess up, but I confess it because I know he's faithful to forgive. And it dramatically changes what it looks like in a worship service. Man, we feel Freedom. We know what that looks like because, let's be honest, every, at least every spouse or significant other in here, you ever get the text message that says, we need to talk? Ooh, we don't do that in my family. I learned that one. Whitney learned that one real quick. We'd only been dating a little while. She sent me that. And you start thinking, well, what did I do? Like, it's never a good thing. It's like, what did I do to get that response? And I ask her, and she's like, oh, I just need to talk to you about like, where we were going to go to dinner tonight. Like, Lead with that. I'm like, where are we going for dinner? Not the, we need to talk. Because that guilt sets in. And when we walk in here and God goes, we need to talk. And you go, yeah, I want to talk to you. That sense of freedom, it makes worship so much easier. And as these people have had a time of confession, as they've had a time of just pouring it all out and saying, I don't want that anymore. I want to leave that. And I want what God wants for my life. The natural response, they start to worship. And man, do they worship. They spent a fourth of the day just letting God's word pour over them. This is a group of people, many of them, until the word had been read a couple chapters ago, they had never heard it. This is a group of people that fell in love with God's word. And they began to hear the stories of creation. They began to hear the stories of freedom. They began to hear the stories of God's love. And they fell in love with it. Can you imagine, like, for a quarter of the day, all they did, it was like hitting play on Audible. Someone began to read, and if it's anything like the other times, there were people going out and they were answering questions, they were translating, they were helping the people understand. And for a quarter of the day, they just let God's word pour over them and doesn't get old. And they hear the stories again and they fall in love with it. That's how we've got to be. We've got to be a people that love God's word deeply. And then for a quarter of the day, they just confessed and worshiped. They confessed their sins, they sang songs. And this was an absolute time of celebration in this city. Yeah, I've got issues, but man, I'm getting them out there and I feel so much better and it is so much easier to worship God. And other people stepped in and they began to help lead and sometimes we feel like, I've got to do this all on my own. No, these people had good leaders that came in and said, hey, we want to help you walk through this process. We want to help you grow. We want to help you move closer to God. You don't have to do this on your own. We know this because that's everyone's story. Someone was a mentor in your life. Someone poured into you. Someone took the time to encourage you, to teach you, maybe at times to rebuke you and say, hey, you keep doing this and you're going to die. And I love you enough that I'm going to tell you that. Everyone's had that. There's a guy named Bill Green. Probably no one watching or listening right now knows who Bill Green is. It was Brother Bill. (laughs) It was one of those. When I was 16, I felt called into ministry. I had no idea what that was going to look like and get a knock on my door one day and he was retiring and he said, hey, I want, I want to give you something. He opened up the bed of his truck. He had his entire library in there. Man, I just fell in love with study. Like that was such a big part of where I am today in my walk because he cared enough and said, hey, I want to, I want to help grow you. And I still have a bunch of those books. Some of them got burned up in a fire, but man, I've still got some of them and it's still teaching me today. Every one of us have someone like that in our lives, someone that poured into us. And these people begin to pour into the Israelites, and they begin to grow, and they begin to worship. This beautiful, beautiful time of worship begins to happen. Then look in verse 5. It says, then the Levites, I'm not even going to go through those names and butcher them, said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. You made with him a covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezite, Jebusite, and the Gereshite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. This is the start of a prayer. And I knew I could not get all of it done next week, so I wanted to kind of lead into it a little bit this week. But what we're gonna be looking at the rest of our time today briefly and then next week, it's probably the longest prayer in the Bible. The crazy thing is, you can read it in about six and a half minutes. Sometimes we think prayer has to be this super, super long thing. And are there times where we pray for a long time? Yes, it's encouraging and it's enriching to us. But sometimes we can have short prayers. I remember growing up when we would go to the babysitter in the morning with my younger siblings. One of us would pray. And one morning I got it in my head. It was like a 15, 20-minute drive. I got it in my head. I was like, I'm going to pray the whole way there. I have no idea how many times I repeated myself. I have no idea how many times my mom probably just shook her head and didn't interrupt me but just let me go. It was, it was a long-winded prayer that didn't need to be that long. And I've had other times where I was sitting in front of wonderful, delicious Chick-fil-A gospel bird. And we would, my staff would go on Wednesdays and we would eat Chick-fil-A. And one week, man, a buddy of mine, he, he needed to pray. And it was like high priestly prayer. And about two minutes in, realizing he's going to go for a while, I just went, amen, and we all started eating. He like looked up, he's like, did you amen my prayer? I went, yes, it's already blessed, it's Chick-fil-A. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that long. In a six-and-a-half-minute prayer, these people are going to put all of the focus where it needs to be, on God. There's so many times, and I, I listen to things, and whether it be theology, music, and I, it seems to have more of an eye focus. Our worship needs to have more of a hymn focus. And they are just going to begin to unpack the glory of God. And they begin and they say, stand up and bless the Lord, um, your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. The question can come up, can we bless God? Well, we're called to, we see there. Now, how we do that and the perception that we have is very important. Because I've heard people say, God, we bless you. And like, change the emphasis and pronouns there. We bless you. Now, do we add anything to God? When we bless God, does He go, oh my gosh, I don't have one of those? No, He has it all. When we bless God, it's a reminder that He is a good and gracious God. And we are thankful for the things that He has done in our lives. Because does God need to be blessed? No, there's nothing that is going to increase God, He is everything. We need a blessing. That's why we pray, God, please bless our lives. There's times where we go out seeking a blessing. Like I'll never forget sitting in a McAllister's in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I'd called my father-in-law. He wasn't my father-in-law at the time. and said, hey, let's get lunch. We ate pretty quickly, and then I went, and I just kind of lead in pretty directly. I was like, well, let's not pretend like we don't know why we're here. Um, Can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And he said, yes. Like I needed that blessing. Is there ever a time where God looks at us and goes, I need you to bless me. No, but we bless him as a reminder that he is good from everlasting to everlasting and that his name is above all. And then this prayer begins to walk through a couple of different things. It starts reminding us that you are the Lord, you alone. It's not God and anything else. It's just God. There's nothing that needs to be added to him. It's a reminder that hey, you are the greatest thing, not myself. We can puff ourselves up sometimes and feel pretty big, but it's it's not about us. It's about him. He says, You are God alone. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts. They begin to go into the creation story. You are God alone, and you are the one who created everything. You created light. You created the earth. He says, you created heaven and the heaven of heavens. See, in the Jewish culture, they had three heavens. If you read in the New Testament, there's a point where Paul says, I know a guy who was caught up into the third heaven. He's talking about himself. The first heaven is the one that we can see, the sky. It's where the birds are. The second heaven is celestial bodies, earth, or earth stars, moon, things like that. The third heaven that he's talking about is what we would call heaven, the home of God. And he says, I know the guy that was caught up there. It's like Paul got an instant download of everything he needed to know to come back to earth and be a phenomenal minister. And here they say, God, you created all of that. You created the sky that we look at and we find so much beauty in. You created a sunset that we sit and watch and go, it's amazing. You created the mountains. You created the ocean. And if we're really honest, when we get to those places, that creation is great, but it reminds us of a creator. One of my favorite things to do in life, I love snow skiing. And I love riding the lift up for the first run and getting off. And before I go, I just stop and I just look out. As far as you can see, it's just snow-capped mountains. And there's never been a time where I looked at that and thought, "Man, I'm awesome." <laughs> I look at that and my like, God is good. Look at this creation. You stand on a beach and you look out and you watch waves roll in. As far as you can see, you're not amazed at your own power. <laughs> you're amazed at the beauty and grace that God has given to His creation. And here they just begin to celebrate, God, you've made all of this. You hold all of it together. You hold everything there. And then he moves into Abram. And they begin to praise God's salvation. Because they know the story that long ago there was a guy named Abram or Abram. He was doing pretty well in life. Great family. Had a lot of possessions. He was a wealthy guy. He had a lot of security in the area that he was in. And God came to him and said, Abram, I'm calling you away from this to to another land, and I'm not even going to tell you where it's at yet. You're just going to go. And Abram looked out at all the things that he had, the safety, the comfort, and all of that, and said, I'll let that go because I want to follow him. God found his heart faithful, and God raised up out of Abraham the nation of Israel, and his descendants were like the sand on the seashore, and they just celebrated that. They celebrate that God calls us to something greater, that God makes a way for us. Today we know that he's made that same way through Jesus Christ, where we can look at our lives and think there's so much comfort and think everything is great, but the reality is we understand we're broken people needing something more. Because you can run out and you can get every possession, take that stimulus check, spend it on whatever you want, and after a little while, it'll get old. You don't remember what you got for Christmas when you were seven, but when you were seven, it was probably pretty awesome. And it just faded with time. You get a cool new TV, and after a while, something better comes out. You get a cool car, and after a while, it's just old and falls apart. And we go and we go and we go trying to find what it's going to be that fills our heart. It's interesting, Ecclesiastes says that God set eternity in our hearts. It's like there's something inside of us that's always, that knows something's missing, and we're trying to find it. The only thing that fills that is Jesus Christ. He made a way for us through salvation. He called, God called Abraham out of his comfort and brought him into a promised land eventually. And then he says, you have kept your promises for you are righteous. 2,500 years ago, in a city on the other side of the world, surrounded by a freshly built wall, a group of people came together and they worshiped and they confessed and they got closer to God because they know or they knew that he would keep his promise. 2000 years ago, the early church that knew the gospel, they knew that it said God has sealed us away for the day that he's going to hold on to us. That through Jesus we can have forgiveness and that promise was true to them. And in 2021 those promises are still true. His promises of love and grace. They ring true. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that promise remains true. And his promise of I'm coming back remains true as well. And we await that day, and until that day, I pray that we can move past some of the things that we struggle with so that we can see God new and fresh every single day. Let's pray. God, we love you, and I pray that we As a church, God, that we would be like these people. We wouldn't be concerned with perception or popularity, God. We'd be more concerned with, where am I with you? God, that we'd be willing to confess our sins so that we can grow and know you deeper. And God, for some, maybe there's never been that confession. If you're in here today or you're watching online and you don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, I would want you to know this. Yes, we talked about the creator today, created everything in perfection. a man sinned, and that's just been a part of who we are since then. And that sin separates us from God, and the price of that sin is death. But in his love and grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life so that he could lay it down willingly to be the ultimate sacrifice to cover the price of our sin. And it's only through him that we can have a relationship with you. And so if you're here today and you've never had that and you need to know it's not about going to church, it's not about being a good person, it's only through Jesus. And so if you've never had that today, but every time we talk about Jesus, something just stirs inside you, that's the Holy Spirit moving. I would say, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. And if you prayed that today, it's a new creation moment. There's forgiveness and grace instantly. If you said that, I encourage you, if you're watching online, get in touch with us. We want to celebrate that. We want to talk with you more about growing in that relationship. And if you have a relationship with him, I pray that we would be like these people and we would be open so that we're always moving forward towards you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.